You're listening to Lane Powell Live, www.lanepowell.com. Welcome back to another episode of Lane Powell Live. I'm your host, Ellie Perka, an attorney with Lane Powell's Construction Law Group. I recently had a chance to sit down with Matt Griffin, longtime Seattle native who has been instrumental in creating our vital downtown Seattle core. Matt played a key role in the revitalization efforts of the mid-90s that resulted in the flagship Seattle Nordstrom store and, in recent days, the Washington State Convention Center expansion project one of our region's largest ever construction projects, located right in the heart of downtown Seattle. I invite you to join me for a discussion with Matt Griffin, managing partner with the Pine Street Group on Seattle revitalization and the mega project located on our city's core, the Washington State Convention Center expansion. So part of what's been fun about having this discussion today is we did it at the Virginia Inn, a place that we've all been for many years but it's right in the heart of the city and outside it's busy and active and we hear the noises from outside and we hear people in the, in the restaurant. So if it becomes a little disruptive, we apologize, but it really gives you the sense of the way urban Seattle is. Listen in to what we had to say. Hi Matt, good afternoon. Good nice to, to see you. you. We're here in the beautiful Virginia Inn in downtown Seattle. Iconic bar here right above the Pike Place Market. Thanks for joining me. Happy to do it. So we're going to talk today about Seattle revitalization, the exciting convention center project. But um, maybe let's first just talk a little bit about your history. I know you have a long, deep history just personally in Seattle. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, yes, I, I grew up in the south end of Seattle. Um, you know, my father went to Franklin High School, so I've been a long time here. Uh, and, you know, I'm a kid who used to take a hammer and bang on the wood in the backyard all the time. And so I grew up doing that. And fortunately, I got a construction job when I was 15 and then continued to do that and finished, a high school, finished college as a journeyman carpenter and then studied engineering and worked in the construction business and uh, then got in the development business kind of by chance in the late 70s. Yeah. And so that's where I've been for most of the last 40 years. Yeah. And your current um, company is Pine Street Group? Yeah. Current company is Pine Street Group. And can you tell us a little bit, what does Pine Street Group do? Yeah, let me but to do that. Let me just tell you a little bit how we were founded. In 94, I'd been out of the country for a year, and when the three-block project with Pacific Place and the new Nordstrom store was getting considered and was asked to help them get organized. And so we put together a group of people uh, then in 94 and 95 to do that three-block project, which we're quite proud of and glad it all worked. And then when that all finished in 2000, uh, had sort of two choices. Do we let everybody just go home and start over, you know, and uh, go sit on the beach? Or do we basically hold our group together and do something else? And so we put our group together and we really have a, a couple of driving factors. We want to build a better downtown. We want to create interesting assignments for our team. We want to be compensated fairly. And we want to work with nice people. Fortunately, we've been able to build a business around that for the last 20 plus years. So we feel, we feel lucky. Yeah. If you can tell us a little bit more about the three block project. I know I'm a Seattle girl as well, so I know a little bit about it. It's such an interesting project. and Yeah, sure. Let me help. Take us back to the mid 90s or early 90s and downtown Seattle was in a mess. There'd been flight to the suburbs. Uh, there'd been clearly people going to shopping centers in the suburbs. And it's hard to believe today that Sixth and Pine, all four corners were boarded up. 
And as I often say, you could buy anything you wanted there as long as it was illegal. Uh, and, and <laughs> Sounds some, a little familiar to right now. Huh? Yeah, well, it's better than that now. But, but, we've, but we've got some recurring issues. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And the idea was, it was actually started by some people from Chicago, and they get credit for it, was for a group of local investors to buy the old Frederick and Nelson building uh, from a local family and then trade it to Nordstrom for Nordstrom's properties that were the original store, or not the original, but the store, on Fifth Avenue, and then get the city to help build a garage under Pacific Place and then have the retail investors basically build the Pacific Place. And so it was complicated. Uh, we had to open a street. We had to run a public vote to open the street. But fortunately, it all got done, and it opened in 98, and we're glad it worked, uh, 500 million later. Um, I'd say but, it worked. But yeah, it worked, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we've also been pleased that we've gotten a lot of credit over the years for being a major piece of revitalizing downtown in the mid-90s. Hugely. Yeah, and yeah. It, we, were, we feel fortunate to be able to do that, but our team worked hard. Yeah, because, I mean, at that time, Frederick and Nelson was just sort of holding the downtown retail core, right? So it was a big deal when it closed. And I'd say maybe two or three years before that, Frederick and Nelson was holding the downtown corner. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in our campaign to open Pine Street, we had some pictures from when I was two years old sitting on Santa Claus's lap and just <laughs> yelling and screaming and saying I wasn't always in favor of bringing Santa Claus back. Uh, but yes, it was the corner. And then Kitty Corner from that was I Magnons, and then really one of those great retail corners in Seattle. And so. When I Magnus closed and then Frederick and Nelson closed, it became a real hole in the center of the town. Yeah, the Frederick and Nelson building itself was really important to downtown, right? It was huge, I mean, just, just by its size. I mean, yeah. a little bit like Macy's currently. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the decision to move the, downtown, the, the Nordstrom flagship store into the Frederick and Nelson building. Like, why do that instead of just renovate the building that Nordstrom was in at that time? A key piece is if you have a big empty building in downtown Seattle, it's like having to work around a, you know, a dead spot. Yeah. And so really key to fixing downtown was to activate that block. Yeah. And Nordstrom was the only retailer really big enough and strong enough to do it. And they had their headquarters downtown as well. So their headquarters could be upstairs. And also, they're just great folks. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, I mean they, as we often said, they wouldn't have done this if it wasn't their hometown. They've got to worry about shareholders, but they also want to do something great for downtown. That was a key piece in starting the puzzle. Yeah, it was so cool. I mean, and it was like a public event when, when the new flagship store opened, right? I was actually a BP girl. I worked in Nordstrom at that time between college. And I remember taking the racks and it was, you know, all of these racks and we were in the paper and it was these masses of people. That was so cool. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it get me talking too much, but I'll probably get teary-eyed. But, you know, and again, it was a big gamble. And we were fortunate to have a group of local investors who put in the seed capital, and they never would have done it if it wasn't their hometown. Good folks who cared about more than a business. Yep, Matt, you are uniquely positioned to you know, give some thoughts about the current state of our downtown and how we can revitalize things after this pandemic and sort of what you see for the future of our downtown. Are, are we gonna have that vital downtown Seattle again? There's no doubt in my mind that downtown Seattle will come, become active again, and it will become a very vital, vibrant place. We can question how long it's going to take and what the rest of us can do to make it happen, but it will definitely, it will definitely come back. I mean, we have no doubts about it. I mean, I have no doubt. Personally, I have no doubts about it. Yeah. And again, if you think about it, we have a more diversified economy now than we did in the 90s. We have 
great intellectual talent in this community, something that is very hard to amass, but we've been able to amass it over the last 25 years. And again, that's why companies come here. They now chase the talent. Yep. And so we're very fortunate. And so I see it strong, but the questions are about how we can make it happen sooner yep. rather than later. Yep. And do you have any ideas for just things that everyday people can do to, to help the effort? <laughs> yeah, well, I've got my sheet right here in my pocket. Um, no, but, Tell us, yeah, please, enlighten yeah, us. Yeah, right, 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 right. In the long run, I mean, the short run, in the long run, both, we really need to get just people back on the streets. I mean, when you think what it was in the mid-90s and that Frederick and Nelson's and I Magnins were closed, what made it uncomfortable, what made it dirty, what made it scary were those vacant streets. Yeah. And today, again, we have vacant streets, or we have streets that aren't as lively as they should be. And I mean, we need to have vibrant streets with vibrant sidewalks. And so step back for a minute and then think about that. I mean, what causes that in our city? It's partly the people that come to work. You know, they, they add a huge amount of traffic to the sidewalks. They're the ones that go in and shop at the restaurants, come here to the Virginia Inn, have a beer, have lunch. We need to get that back. But we also need to get the tourists back. I mean, again, if you think about it, it's people on the streets that make basically cities exciting, make them feel safe, and allow all those fun retailers and restaurants and bars to thrive. Yeah. And we've got to get that life back. Yeah. And it's a little bit chicken and the egg. You know, who wants to open a bar when there are enough people? Right. Who want, you know, but on the other hand, you don't want to have the people until the bar. So we, yeah. again, we need to move together on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I work downtown. I come downtown all the time. I live in Magnolia just 10 minutes away. So I come downtown all the time just for business. But you're so right. I mean, we also have a, usually a lot of tourists. Like I tourists. don't think about them as often as I probably should. And sometimes yeah. not fondly, but yeah. now we think of them fondly. Yeah, well, yeah. And they're a lot of probably what used to occupy our streets that are kind of empty now. And again, we, we, we need to real, I mean, obviously we've gone down a horrible pandemic and it's been horrible and it's been rough. It's been rough on people like us that have, you know, means that can work from home, but for people that haven't had those advantages, it's actually been devastating. Right. It's been devastating. And it's increased that difference between the haves and the have nots, it's a big problem. But, uh, you know, even as people come back to work, we'll need to realize that we don't expect many offices that require people to come to work five days a week, every week. Right. They're gonna be something like 63 days a week or four days a week. Yeah. But then just think for a minute that that's only 60% or 80% of the traffic on the sidewalks that we had before. Right. So we're gonna to need to think about all this a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. We need to think about it differently. It's just, even if all the space stays full in those buildings, it's not just gonna bounce back. So we need to work on that. Right, well, we need to get out, right? Like, it, it's, a, it's a public service, all my shopping at Nordstrom that I've been doing, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm supporting our downtown. You like, took one for the team. Yeah, totally. But I mean, seriously though, right? I mean, that's a big part of this, it seems like. Uh, very much, and, and, yeah. I, and I will say from, my wife and I live at Fourth and Pike. Yeah. But when, once we became fully vaccinated, we said, look, we're gonna start going out at least once a week. Yeah. You know, maybe twice a week. We've got to help these restaurants yeah. and bars that have been so good to tough it out, yeah. to help them survive. They deserve it. The people that work there deserve to be tipped. We all have a chance to help the rest of the community come back by right. going out and doing those things. Right, and especially people like you and me, right? That we can, or, and if you don't want to sit in the bar, you can just order it and take takeout, you know? I'd rather but, sit in the bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. Yeah. But I mean, I'm trying to, you know, be, think globally here. No, but, no, but exactly. Yeah, and uh, get the takeout, take it home, tip the people when you leave and. You know, but here today, I just, I just walked down from Pike to here to Virginia. Yeah. And 
people are sitting on the sidewalks. The, the cafes are full. I mean, you know, it's, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. They're full. Yeah. It's starting to happen. Totally. We just need to encourage more of it because it really does feed on itself. Yeah. And I've really noticed a change in the last, I don't know, three weeks maybe probably with the vaccinations. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. If probably. You, I mean, you're downtown more than no, I am. But no, probably. but it's clearly, it's picking up a lot. Yeah. It's picking up a lot. Yeah. It's picking up a lot. And, and DSA has a mechanism to track the traffic by cell coverage. And so they, they actually have the data on how much it's been increasing week by week over the previous week. And you can see it coming back. Yeah. And it's, it's good for downtown. Yeah. We need to get our friends who have been sort of reluctant to come down to come down and say, oh, my God, it's different. Didn't realize it. You right. Know, it's a lot nicer than I remembered. Right. For so sure. We need to do that. And it seems like I don't know, but some of my friends that haven't gone out much like just getting them to go once or twice out, right? And right. just realize there are people out, we are vaccinated, like let's get out and enjoy our beautiful city again. You know, if we think about why people like to come downtown, I mean, you know, certain people come down to work, but yeah. people come to visit, they come down because it's an interesting, exciting place. And there are interesting, exciting things going on. And there's a certain nostalgia for seeing pictures of people at the market in the last week or two that say, Oh my God, I better get down there. I'm missing out. Yeah. All those people are having fun and I'm not there. I got to get with the program. Right. So we need to encourage that. Yeah. We need to encourage that. For sure. Well, we can't have a discussion about revitalizing Seattle without discussion of the convention center project. Uh, I know you and the Pine Street Group are very involved with that. I mean, everyone knows and lives in Seattle, but we're talking about the big mega project um, over on Boren. Uh, can you tell us where, where that project's at? If we go back um, seven or eight years when we first got involved, the convention center uh, had become its own entity. So before that, it was part of the state. And in 2010, it got spun off to be its own entity. So it has its own board, et cetera. It's a public facilities district. And it also has its own tax stream. And the tax stream is basically a 7% on rooms in the city and 2.8 in the rest of the county. So it was its own entity. And that existed before the uh, expansion project? That the, the, tax, the tax existed before the expansion program, and even before it was spun off into its own entity in 2010. It. It's just the tax stream went from the state with them to basically fund that entity. Got it. And as we rolled into 2013 or 14, the convention center found itself turning away more business than it was booking. Really unusual. And, it, you know, and some people would like to say it's because the convention center is so cool, but that's not the case. It's because Seattle <laughs> became so cool yeah, totally. that people wanted to come to Seattle. They wanted to come to Pipe Place Market. They wanted to come to Virginia right. Inn. So if you, if you could hold a convention in a place where people want to come, you had better, better people, better, more attendance. Right. So the convention center hired our firm uh, to basically figure out how they could do this expansion and how we could do, in essence, what is a doubling of the, of the convention center size. Oh, wow, doubling. It's a doubling. And we also, in our studies, came to realize that it, we are not in an arms race about trying to have a bigger convention center. People tended to try to say that was the case. What we're trying to do is have more conventions, not bigger. And it allows us, if you think about it, if you have a big convention, it comes in, overruns the hotels, and then it goes away, and while they're taking it apart, there isn't much, there isn't any life on the streets. Right. So instead, if you had sort of multiple conventions and had them off by half a wavelength, you can keep the hotels full, you can keep basically the streets busy, and do a better use of the assets in the community. Interesting. So that's one part. Yeah. And then the second part is one of the things that people like so much about Seattle Convention Center is the convention center is right downtown. Right. 
So it allows them to go to their hotels, deposit their luggage, take a walk to the convention center, hopefully stop at a couple bars and restaurants one yeah. way or the other. Or coffee. Or coffee. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you can't come to Seattle without coffee. Yeah. Um, and it, but they like that. And so the, the unique challenge for this project in which we needed to use our best skills was being able to put together a 7.7-acre site in the downtown Seattle. Jeez. So a uh, typical... 7.7 acres? Yeah, in, oh, this, in the downtown. So, you know, a typical block uh, like Pacific Place was built on is two, two acres. Yeah. So that meant uniting various blocks by going underneath the streets and underneath the alleys right. and all those pieces. And fortunately, we were able to do it. Yeah. And it was important to keep it close to downtown, right. close to the hotels. And even though it's not connected to the existing convention center, it's close enough that if you had a meeting in one and a meeting in the other, it shouldn't bother you. You're already used to walking from your hotel to the convention center. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. But yeah, I guess a lot of convention centers are outside of the downtown. Las Vegas, you take, yeah. Vegas, you take a monorail. Even in San Francisco, you have to take a stupid bus. In Boston, you go to the Back Bay. Yeah. And not only is that great for the convention center and attracting the tourists, but it gives us the chance to put all these people on the streets. Right. So back to this people on the streets and basically making our city exciting. Right. So that's partly why our gang said, yeah, we ought to try to do this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, one of the other parts that was like this is, you know, there used to be this bus station. Oh, yeah. In that big right. hole. Right. Okay, that's so that big metro. hole. Metro. Yeah, metro. Yeah, big bus station. <laughs> and that was always going to be closed because it was never the plan to have a light rail station there. So, so we just had to basically get, get King County to do it a couple of years earlier than they would have otherwise. Oh, really? They never had planned to have a light rail. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, it's too much of a grade for light rail to go through that block, get under the freeway, and then go up the hill. Really? So that's why it was never planned to have a light rail station. But one of the things also that we found exciting was if we could fill in that big hole, it would do a great job of connecting downtown Seattle and Capitol Hill and make that a great walking street along Pine and frankly Pike, but Pine in particular. Right. And that, that was of interest to us. Uh -huh. I mean, that was interest. We've often talked about how between the work at Pacific Place and other things, we were sort of closing yeah. in the DMZ, yeah. you know, close, making it smaller and smaller. Right. And so now we do this, there's an apartment building coming down the hill. Right. We put money into public funds to help in the Pike Pine Corridor. We're hoping that out of this we come up with a great walking community between Capitol Hill and downtown, which is good for all of us that live here. And as we say, when the conventioners come, they can come out of the convention center. Yeah. We can go downtown for something right. normal or, or go, go up, up the hill, hill for something more funky. Totally. Um, but again, it, more funky. But it's true. <laughs> it's true. And I know I it is. I, I go up there. I like it too. Yeah. But, it, but again, those unique attributes within walking distance of the convention center should allow the Washington State's Convention Center to attract more people to Seattle. For sure. And I don't want to forget that the, the Convention Center, when it was created as its own public facilities district, its obligation was to create jobs and opportunities and economic development. Right. And our plan when we did the analysis before was that the, just the addition on the margin would bring about $280 million a year in new spending to the community and, and generate, you know, uh, almost 3,000 jobs. Amazing. So again, important thing to do, and now we need to do it well mm -hmm. so that people come to Seattle, we have life on the streets, we generate some tax revenue, 
And again, it's people on the streets that make an exciting downtown, and we hope this is a very important tool to getting that done. Right. So the, the financing of the project has been in the paper a little bit over, I mean, of course, all construction has been hit so hard by this pandemic. Uh, can you explain to us, um, you know, what ended up happening with the financing to keep the job going in the past year? So when the convention center was spun off in 2010 and made into the public facilities district, it had that tax stream. Right. It also had some covenants from the state that basically said you can only do a certain percentage of debt. And it also said you can only finance your debt off tax receipts that have been experienced in the past, not on speculation about future tax increases. Okay. Okay. So when we started construction of the project, that limited us to about a billion dollars in debt billion dollars in bonds. And our plan was that as the taxes increased over the next couple of years, we would then be able to issue another set of bonds on the same terms right. and be able to have all the funds to finish the project. Right. And as recently as February of 2020, we were m moving along, the, ta the, the tax increases were going up. Yep. We were expecting to be able to issue the bonds last summer and this coming summer. And then obviously when the pandemic hit and hotels went from 80 or 90% revenue down right. to 10% right. for Sorry. occupied. Yeah. We were killed. Yeah. Okay, we were killed. So we obviously had to scramble. Uh, we worried a lot about having to shut down the construction and send 1,000 people home. And we're, you know, we're especially proud of the fact that we've got about 30% people of color, 25% from priority zip codes, and 15, 17, 18% apprentices. And those are the last people in this community as we're trying to yeah. resolve some of these differences between the haves and the have-nots that we want to send home. Definitely. So we're all worried about that. Is that a high percentage of apprentices? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It seems yes. high. Yeah, it's high. Yeah. It's high. We've worked at it. But yeah, I mean, that's great. We've worked at it, but we're proud of it. Um, yeah. You know, I think about my days as an apprentice, and right. I remember all those kind of things. They're, it's important. Uh, yeah, you just look back on it. We, we'd like to be able to have people walk through town and say, my career got started over there. You know, my career. That's how I got started. Right. So we weren't able to issue the bonds. And... We did a study in basically October of 2020, and the tax revenue wasn't great enough to do this. And then in the early part of 2021, there was an offering of bonds in Chicago for the school district, and it was about 500 million, and it was oversubscribed tenfold. Oversubscribed tenfold. In February? In February. And what had happened between the fall and then Vaccines. Right. And a couple stimulus packages. Right. And people were starting to say, we are going to come out of this sooner right. rather than later. Right. And we should go to the places whose credit has been damaged in the short run, yep. but where we think they have a good long-term future, yep. and buy those bonds. Right. And so the investment bankers came to us and said, we think Seattle fits that mold and we should start working on going back out to the bond market. Mm -hmm. And we reserved a year and a half worth of debt service out of the bond financing to get us through the rough period here while we're still climbing out. Okay. And then the rest of it is based on the whole market saying, Seattle has a great time future. Yeah. Seattle has a great future. And if we're gonna take some, we need to take some risk, we should take it. And our bond facility also is nine times oversubscribed. Hugely successful. So Hugely successful, more than we expected. Yeah. And it gave us a chance to go out in the last hour or two and renegotiate the rates. Yeah. So that allowed us to get even a little better deal for the community, which means then less money will go for debt service and more money can go for marketing. 
and frankly, fixing up the old convention center over time. Right, to point out the obvious, right? I mean, that's a, a really good thing. I mean, it tells us that people are want to get back in the city, they want to be walking around and want to invest in our city, right? Well, I can't think of anybody who would say that wasn't a good thing. Yeah. I mean, even the county and the city who said they would help us said, great, we don't have to do it. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to do it. I mean, there's that, no, but yeah. No but, 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 but no, but I think you're right that the confidence in Seattle, yeah. and again, as you may have seen the article in, I don't know, Friday's paper, I came with the Seattle Times and New York Times, Seattle has become the number one city in America for foreign investment. And it's because of the companies that are here are so solid, which right. to me goes back to the intellectual talent. Right. We have so much, in, we've been fortunate to get so much intellectual talent here right. that we need to capitalize on. And people see the stability in our economy from that intellectual talent and therefore the companies that are here. Yeah, I love that. I've learned a new phrase here, intellectual talent. I love that. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. And it's, it's not best. going anywhere, it's the, right? I well, mean, it's hard to dislodge. Yeah. It's hard to dislodge. In, in order to, Again, it's part of why I'm so excited about what's going on at the waterfront. Yeah. You know, you, you, you add to it the waterfront, which is going to be just, it's going to be amazing. We're going to go down there and go, how did we ever not take advantage of this? <laughs> I know, you it's know? so crazy. <laughs> no, it's really good. And, and then, yeah. again, we, obviously we have the great beauty in the, in the surrounding areas. Yeah. But then, you know, you look at the Seahawks, the Sounders, right. the Mariners, the, uh, the hockey team. Right. You go the, the symphony, the opera, the Plim uh, Paramount Act. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean. We have a bunch of great things. Right. And so we have a great combination that should allow us to keep that intellectual talent here. Yeah, for sure. So the convention center has a big milestone coming up, yeah, in the construction? Yes. So what's happening there? We are having a topping out event on June 11th. And, tell, and for people, I know what it means. I, I was, I'll help you. <laughs> so topping out is, is really a chance to celebrate the workers. It usually happens when the top piece of steel is erected. On this project, we have used a method that is called billboarding rather than building straight up. So on most buildings, you would build a whole floor and then you'd build the next floor and build your way up. Our site was so big that we still had the buses and were excavating on one end and we wanted to start building on the other end. So we took sections and built them all the way up to the top and then moved over and built the next section all the way up and the next section all the way up. So this is the last piece of steel, or the highest piece of steel, on the last section. Gotcha. And so that'll give us a chance to celebrate the construction workers, thank them for all the work they've done, and be able to sort of commemorate a milestone as we move forward. Yeah, that's great. And when is that happening? The topping out will be on June 11th. Uh, it'll be in the morning. It's mainly a media or a media event. It's not meant for a big group of people. Again, this is trying to be careful under COVID. But we're quite excited about it, and we're putting together a video that the construction workers can watch on their phone. And we've been able to get some of the fun luminaries in town to make some comments about the convention center, which includes some of our sports heroes. And it's been very fun to watch the videos and see the excitement that these sports athletes basically convey to the construction workers. We're, we're, again, it's part of what's nice about Seattle. We've got a lot of nice people. And it's about thanking the construction workers, really, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, I'd say yeah, two, commemorating. Mostly, it's, it's it's thanking the construction workers and commemorating a milestone in completing the convention center. Yeah, cool. And so then, moving forward, um, what else is left to do, and when can we look forward to opening it up and walking through the grand structure? <laughs> if you treat us nicely, you can go on a tour. <laughs> but you got, you got to be careful. All right, all uh, right. I'll be on my best behavior. Yeah, here. fair enough. We, we look to open, open it about the 1st of July next year. Cool. 
And so whether the convention center starts booking conventions then or waits till fall and does some testing is really up to them. Yeah. Uh, but, but we have $400, $500 million worth of work to put in place over the next year. Yeah. So it's a busy time. I mean, it's, yeah. we will get up to 11 or 1,200 construction workers. Yeah. Um, and it's a busy time. Yeah. Um, is it true that the top floor is as big as the football field, the ballroom up top? The ballroom is big as a football field, including both end, zone, end zones. Oh. So 60,000 feet. And a couple things. It can be divided into a 40 and two tens. Yep. So, but the other thing is, is it, to do a room that big so you don't feel squished, you have to have a huge ceiling. So the ceiling is almost 50 feet tall and a 50-foot window on the east side. So it should be just breathtaking when Amazing. you go in there. It'll be breathtaking. Yeah, and I know LMN Architects, another regional firm yep. here, did the design. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the design? I understand it was a real um, focus on connecting with the community, just kind of like what we've been talking about this whole time. First of all, we are very fortunate to have LMN Architects in town. Um, uh, Mark Reddington, the lead designer, is just terrific. I mean, not only is he talented, he's a nice person. He lives in the market. He's just, I mean, he's like fabulous. And he's, a, he's fun. He's just, he's great. We're very fortunate to have him and their whole team. But, but a number of things that we tried to do in the design. Um, one is the ballroom we just talked about, which is, it'll be, it should be breathtaking. Second of all, in the property we bought from the county, we actually bought the property underneath the sidewalk, which is unusual. So it allows us to basically deed access on the sidewalk back to the city and then build out over it above, above the sidewalk. So on Pine Street, we actually out over the sidewalk and we've created a hill climb that goes up the hill with places to sit and plug in your devices all the way up like four stories with the southern light and you're out over the edge so you can look down Pine Street, see the market and cool. see the bay. I mean, it, it, it will be spectacular. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we need to have a sign there that says Seattle when everybody gets their picture taken there. You know, <laughs> coming back to Seattle, I can't wait. So, you know, we toured a number of convention centers and you quickly find out that natural light makes a huge difference. Yeah. So we have skylights that start at the top, which is probably 200 plus feet above 9th Avenue, and go all the way to the basement, floor below grade. Really? And bringing daylight all the way down. How many floors is that? Well, yeah, if, if, if it's floors. They're big floors. Well, so it yeah. floors in an, in an apartment building, that would be 20 floors. Yeah, okay. In an apartment building, yeah. but ours are big, tall ceilings, right, yeah. as you can imagine. So, so that's going to be spectacular. And, and then we've also tried that on 9th Avenue, we've created a marketplace with restaurants uh, and, you know, a bar and refreshments that doesn't feel like a convention center. Feels more urban like Seattle. Hmm. And you'll come into the convention center and on your left will be this urban marketplace. And then you'll turn right and go into the convention center. And so again, trying to capitalize on what people think about when they come to Seattle or whether it's the Pike Place Market or Capitol Hill right. and basically make that a reason to come there. And hopefully the locals will find it a great place to hang out. For sure. And so we're talking about how we could bring in music on times when there's not convention centers, et cetera and make this a real hub for that neighborhood. It ought to be good. I think we've, wor be. we've worked really hard on it, and LMN yeah. was terrific. Yeah, I mean, look at, you've terrific. got the location, you've got the great designer, you've got the vision. <laughs> you know, and I'd say you don't have to get another local one, is we forget that we have one of the best structural engineering firms in the whole world, in MKA. Yeah. And when the lead engineer was working on it, he said, oh yeah, this is my 45th convention center. Jeez. 
And they're okay. and they're based in downtown. Yeah, I think you're qualified. Yeah, I think you're qualified. <laughs> we'll take you. And again, and again, they're well organized. They're very nice people. So we feel quite fortunate to work with those two firms. Yeah. And and we've been able to work with other good firms too. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much for joining me here. This has been super fun. I've loved learning um, about ideas and tips for what we can all be doing to revitalize Seattle and get our city back in action. I love Seattle probably just as much as you do. Can you tell us, is there anywhere, um, if people wanted to learn more about the convention center or anything that we've talked about here, is there a place they can go? Yeah, I wanted, I'd like to make a couple of comments yeah. if I could. Um, I mean, first of all, there is a website and it's WSC, wsccedition.com and you can see plans of the convention center, you can see construction photos. But one of the parts that we didn't talk about, and you can see it on the website as well, is we wanted to make sure this convention center doesn't have a backside. So all the loading dock facilities, which so often make a backside to a convention center, we've pushed them all underground on north of Olive. And so the, the trucks will come in off of Bourne, 90-foot trucks, be able to go down, unload, and then drive back out. And then on top of them, at grade level, we've designed a 500,000-foot office building and a 30-story apartment building. So this project won't have a backside. And part of it is in that great a location, we wanted to make great links for conventioners and people of Seattle to walk down to South Lake Union, to walk to Capitol Hill, to walk to the retail. Yep. And so we took on the obligation of creating this leakage. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the website, there's a section on co-developments. Okay. And you can look at the office in particular, yep. or you can look at the apartments. And all those have been designed by LMN as well. Oh, cool. And, and were, the, the Hyatt, the, the huge, beautiful new Hyatt hotel was done by them as well. well. Yeah. Yep. Hyatt was done by them as well, and we're just hoping they collect lots of room tax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they will. They will. <laughs> they will. I'm sure they will, too. I'm sure they will, too. But again, it's all of this as being something about creating a neighborhood. And when you have the advantage to be able to build right in the downtown in terms of walking distance with all these other facilities, it's very important to create the linkage for your customers and pedestrians to be able to walk to these other neighborhoods and not feel like they're going across a war zone. Yep. So we're quite excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. I'm excited to see it. Thanks for letting me talk about all yeah, this. Yeah, it's been fun. With the topping out ceremony at the Washington State Convention Center on June 11th, Matt is a busy guy. I was lucky that he took the time to sit down with me and discuss our great city, the exciting Convention Center project, and Matt's ideas on steps we can all be taking to help revitalize our city after this pandemic so it is again the bustling urban core we all know and love. I'm glad you could join us for this conversation. You'll find a link to the Convention Center developments and a calendar of upcoming events in the description of this episode. The lawyers of Lane Powell serve as trusted counsel advocates and advisors to clients who rely on us to resolve complex business, litigation, and regulatory challenges. We invite you to subscribe to periodic legal updates relevant to your business, written and published by lawyers from Lane Powell. To sign up, visit lanepowell.com forward slash subscribe and choose any topics that are relevant to your industry or business. Thank you for joining our discussion today. 